Please rise as you are able for the reading of God's word from Romans 3, 20 through 24. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Neil, for reading our scripture for us this morning. It's an honor and a blessing to get to be with you this morning as we continue our series based on the core values that we have as a congregation. Our value that we're going to be looking at this morning is grace, and I can say that as a Methodist pastor and a John Wesley nerd, I have felt a little bit like a kid left in a candy shop this week. And I can go ahead and warn you as a youth pastor that you're going to hear some stories of youth trips gone bad and also those of the amazing presence of God's grace. Uh, I have fond memories as a child sitting with my dad and watching the Discovery Channel show, How It's Made. Somehow, it seemed more educational to learn the inner workings of making a bowling ball than watching cartoons. This, of course, was always a good idea until we finally made it to an episode about hot dogs. The idea of how something is made spawns in us a spark of interest. In our passage today, I think perhaps we see a bit of Paul responding to some how it's made questions in reference to the grace of God. You have to imagine that the recipients of Paul's letters were in a bit of an interesting time period. When Romans was written, the Jewish culture for centuries had been living out the teachings of their law. And now in the years since Jesus' ministry, everything had been turned upside down. And to top it all off, it was no longer just the Hebrews seeking after the righteousness of God. The entrance of Gentiles, those not of a Hebrew background, people possibly like you and I, was a confusing conundrum for the Hebrews. And they at time wanted a detailed account of how this was going to work, especially since their people had spent century following all these rules. This, of course, made the Gentiles curious as well to know if they were at a disadvantage not living under the Hebrew laws or the Torah. And so Paul finds himself now having to help his readers understand who it is that is the most deserving of the righteousness of God and maybe who has the better footing. However, the passage that we are looking at this morning would not have been the detail that the Hebrews or the Gentiles were looking for, and instead was a simple state of the current situation and a deep insight in the the theology Paul had formed on the righteousness of God in his later years of ministry. In an attempt to hold up a mirror to his readers, Paul gives a simple state of things. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes realizing the state of things can be a rough experience. When I was 23, I was leading a youth group back from a mission trip in southwest Missouri. 
After a tiring week of serving at a camp for students with special needs, myself and 11 students made our way back across Missouri to Tennessee. After a brief stop for lunch, I noticed in the rearview mirror every single one of my students had fallen fast asleep. I continued sipping on my Mountain Dew for some much-needed energy, and I glanced at the GPS on my phone to check our progress and noticed that I had just lost all cell service. And then in the distant horizon, I noticed the first building I'd seen for miles, a small hotel. As I crested the hill in my shiny white church van, I remembered thinking, man, I'm making great time. Of course, at that very moment, the accelerator, which normally gave a half-hearted effort at best, decided to give up altogether. We slowly rolled down the hill and came to a stop, and I'm sure the exact spot many other travelers by drove by and said, man, wouldn't it be horrible to break down here? <laughs> My heart sank. The slow but steady stop woke up many of the students as they inquired as to what was going on. In both confidence and complete ignorance, I told them everything was fine and I just needed to check on something. I hopped out of the van and popped the hood and looked at the engine. Now when I say I looked at the engine, that's literally all I did. <laughs> I know so little about engines that people that jiggle wires seem amazing to me. By this time, students had exited the van and were running away in a nearby field. I was eventually able to wave down a police officer who radioed for a tow truck. Still with no cell phone service, I inquired about a landline nearby, to which he told me the landlines had been down for over a day. I now knew that I had entered into an episode of the Twilight Zone. Once our van had been towed, the officer suggested we make our way to the motel down the road and assured me that the owner would rent me a room by the hour. With my other adults over an hour ahead of me, in another vehicle, I sat back and assessed the state of things. I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, with 11 teenagers. We have a broke van, and I literally have no idea where it just went, other than being told it was towed down the road. We have absolutely no phones, and we are sitting in a room rented by the hour. Now, all of you parents of students in the room, I want to assure you that I got home every one of the students that night and have grown a great deal since this experience. But sometimes when you look at the state of things, it can look pretty dreary. And Paul in Romans is giving his readers a full account of the state in which they are in. Both Jews and Gentiles are in the same boat. Neither have a defense for the charges brought against them. They, like us, are fallen with all of humanity. While the Gentiles have likely been under scrutiny for jumping on the bandwagon late, Paul begins to help his readers understand that while their background is different, they have some things in common. The right relationship they seek with God cannot be obtained by their own doing or of any law from the past. They must learn a new way. Paul explains that all of humanity, Jew and Gentiles alike, are in need of something. In Torah or no Torah, the situation is dire. All of humanity is in need of the righteousness of God. And without it, we have little hope to recover from the sin so deeply ingrained in our fallen nature. 
It is not uncommon that Paul would have to explain to his readers that the system of hierarchy played out in the culture is not of value when it comes to the kingdom of God. Like, like today, the status ruled the pecking order, and Rome was certainly not without its fault of creating a class system. And what was worse is it was overflowing into the understanding of who was ahead of who when it comes to the favor of God. But Paul puts it as simply as, as he can. Both Jew and Gentile are under the power of sin and in need of God. As the playing field has now been leveled, Paul gets to his point. All people will receive the righteousness of God because of the faithfulness Christ has for us. We merely need faith in him. Now, there are two parts here that really need to be examined. First, we must learn to claim our faith as our own. The moment John Wesley called justification. Clearly, the readers of Paul's letters had heard of Jesus, and many had put trust in Christ. But it can be difficult to accept a gift of infinite worth, and even more, it can be difficult to put your trust all in one person. Wesley even struggled fully into the idea that one man provided him with salvation. Many years into his ministry, he wrote in his journal, May 24, 1738, after hearing Luther's preface to Romans, I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. This turning point of understanding that we cannot do this life on our own and accepting that Christ died for my sins and for your sins is the key, says Paul. The gift of salvation awaits for us to respond in faith. And as it was vital to the Romans then, it is vital to us today to realize the deep need we have for faith in the one person who can actually save us, who can pull us out of our desire to do it all on our own, or our own desire for a, a self-sufficient life dictated by the fallen world and into the loving arms of a savior. We cannot do it on our own, says Paul. Second, we must acknowledge that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for all of humanity. The leveling of the playing field Paul was cultivating between Jew and Gentile was just the beginning. In this day, we face our own Jew and Gentile separations. We've divided ourselves and in doing so, attempted to divide the grace of God. The truth, my friends, is we can't divide or separate something that is not ours to divide. The act of Christ on the cross was not an act sufficient for a few, but all who seek faith in Christ. The work of sanctification or working towards Christian perfection in our lives leads us to a place of hoping that all might come to know the love and grace of the God that provides us with eternal life. The prevenient grace of God, Wesley tells us, is the love that God had for us before we knew to love God. This prevenient grace calls us to a moment of accepting grace for ourselves, but I have to say that it also calls us to live and act in a way that points others towards the grace available to them. Because I have to tell you, we are not called to sit back and relax until all that know that grace was not intended for just a few. Earlier this summer, our Jubilation Choir spent the night, last night of their tour singing in the chapel at Lake Genalaska. 
We had figured that it would be a good way to finish the tour by letting the students sing for no one but themselves. The students sang for about half an hour, enjoying the beautiful acoustics of the stone chapel, as well as the intimate environment and lack of pressure to perform for an audience. Unknown to us, right outside the chapel, a family was burying the ashes of their son on his 19th birthday. He had been killed by a drunk driver earlier in the year. The grandfather wrote to us and said, as we prepared to lay our grandson to rest, we heard a choir of angels singing, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. It was a message of God's grace in their moment of great sorrow. I have a prayer that we as a congregation would be preparing ourselves to be a sanctuary, a sanctuary that accepts their great need for a savior and shows the world of God's unending love and grace for all of us. If I'm honest, this past year of ministry has been one of the most difficult in my career. I say that not as an indictment on this congregation or our wonderful staff and leadership. It truly is a blessing to work in this place. But there were many days that I wondered if I was the pastor called to do the job laid before me. You might find this surprising, but sometimes pastors try to do it all on their own. I've been reminded again and again that I cannot do it all on my own. And if I do, I'm only creating a kingdom, a household, and a ministry doomed to fail. This thing we call grace, it's tricky. It calls us to be vulnerable, to get outside of ourselves, to look at our state and realize that if we are putting all we have into assets of this world in a kingdom ruled by man, then our fate has already been written. This passage is not explaining the how of what happened on the cross, but saying that it did happen. And through it, we get something better than relying on our own mere human feeble attempts to find meaning and purpose. I've got news for you this morning. If the state of things seem dreary in your life, there is hope to be found here and now. Paul puts it as simple as he can. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The same gift that Paul describes to the Romans in that passage awaits us today. Our attempts at righteousness will fail, but God has not. One more story before I finish. The week before last, I got to spend some time in Washington, D.C. with our Sunshine Choir. It was an amazing week singing praises to God for all those who would listen. We got to sing for veterans, children, those in need and in recovery, and even a few nuns. On Tuesday night, we let the students walk the National Mall and take a look at our nation's monuments. I took my time walking around as the sun began to fall. I spent a good deal of time at the World War II monument thinking of my grandfather's. I slowly walked the wall and read the names of those fallen during the Vietnam War. Eventually, I climbed the 50-plus steps and found myself looking at Abe. I walked back down and sat with our students and chaperones in front of the reflecting pool. The sun had now fully set on the Capitol. As we sat, our students began to sing. They sang, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. 
I believe in love even when I don't feel it. I believe in God even when God is silent. Words that had been found etched into the wall at a concentration camp during World War II. I couldn't help but think about all that has been preached from those steps in their history. Messages of love and even hate. Messages of equality and persecution. Of support and distrust. The mall stopped as the students sang this prayer over the mall and over our nation. I couldn't help but think that they had added their stamp to this pulpit. And the message was one of God's grace and love, even in the most dire of states. Friends, the grace of God calls and beckons to me and to you because it's the path that has been laid before us so that we might have life and have it in abundance. It's the message being sung over us in every state of life, whether we are in the valleys of sorrow or the peaks of praise. And it calls us to act because it's not just a message for a few, but for all who seek our only Savior. May we be a people who live faithfully for the God who provided us a way when the state of things was dreary. I believe in this thing we call grace. Even when the state of things seems dark, it's calling out to us. It's calling us out of our own ways and into the kingdom that has no end. Let it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.